People ask me, how is vacation? I always say, it's good to get away. It's good to come back. What'd you do? Well, I spent most of the time with my father-in-law, my daughter, and my two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter. Sometimes when you spend a week with a two-and-a-half-year-old, you get to see life a little differently. My wife and I, we brought with us some cran grape juice. That's cranberry grape juice, and I enjoy it in the morning, and she enjoys it too. She calls me Papa. You know what she calls cranberry grape juice? It's Papa juice, okay? So how they see the world and its reality. Reminds me, I was in college. I went to college with a young lady, and her father was a pastor. She was a pastor's kid. And she always identified her father. He always wore the black cleric shirt with a white collar. And whenever she saw that, she said, that's daddy. She came to know that as that daddy. So one day, the father and mother took her out to eat at a restaurant. It just happened to be that 10 or 15 Roman Catholic priests were having supper at the same restaurant seated next to them. And she looked at her dad, and she looked at all the Roman Catholic priests, looked back at her parents, and finally she looked at her mother, and she said, Mommy, look at all those daddies over there. <laughs> how we see life, the big picture, how we view life. I want to ask you, are you a big picture type of person? You tend to look at life and have the big scheme all in hand, what you're doing with everything. Or are you a work-out-the-details person? Are you a person, you're in the weeds, you're in the granulars, you're working out the specifics? Or are you a person who tends to be philosophical and look at life in the big picture. You see the big grand scope of things. You don't have to answer me, but what type of person are you? See the big picture? Are you a person who so much enjoys getting into the grandeurs of life? Can you read this for me? Only. It doesn't matter. was important. Did you get that? Well, most of you did quite well. I thought that, you know, sometimes be confused. Now, if you go to Facebook and you read that, they say you have an IQ of 130. I doubt that because I could, I could eat, read it easily, okay? No comments, all right? <clears throat> if you understand the big picture of reading that, you can maybe just look at that and say, only smart people can read. If you understand the big picture, you can put the smart things together. The big picture. What do these statements mean? 30,000-foot 30, uh, 30, view. Have you ever heard that before? Yeah, well, that refers to flying an airplane. You're phone in the jet, looked over things. You see all the different fields, all the colors. They're like a, a patchwork. They're like a quilt. And maybe you have little cities, and you have interstates and roads going, and, and maybe trucks like, look like little ants. In big cities, maybe a little bit bigger, you can see how it sprawls out. That's life at a 30,000-foot view. Or have you heard of this? Wake up and smell the what? Yeah, do you know what's going on around you? Or, what does this mean? Put two and two together, right? You understand that? Figure things out. Or, a ballpark figure. Ever do that? You need to repair in your home, repair in a car. Just give me a ballpark figure. What's it going to be? I don't want you to be exact. Just get the big picture. And finally, sometimes we hear this. Can't see the forest through the what? Friends in Christ, many times if we have an issue in our life, we go talk to someone. Maybe we even go talk to a counselor. And the first thing a counselor will tell us many times is, you know, I understand where you're coming from, but you can't see the forest because you're living in the trees. You're caught up in the specifics in life, and you can't see the big picture. All this deals with the big picture, understanding the large scope, life at 30,000 feet. I think sometimes sketch artists, police are, there's certain uh, professionals in the police department able to give a sketch of somebody. Maybe if someone's a victim or maybe somebody's missing. Or they want to identify someone. They said, well, 
tell you what, this person can sketch and just start telling me the details, and as we go along, you can change as it comes. It's not perfect, it's not a picture, but it's close enough, they're in the ballpark. It's a 30,000 foot view, sort of the big picture. You get the idea. And so, the Ethiopian eunuch in the New Testament, he was reading from the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah looks into the future, he looks to the birth of Christ, and he looks to the end times, and he's reading about the Messiah, and it just doesn't make sense to him. So here's at a scroll, he's reading about the Messiah and, 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 and the, the, the coming of the Messiah, and he's reading about the end times, it doesn't make sense to him. And so God sent him the Apostle Philip. God sent him his child Philip. And, and, and the Bible tells us that Philip explained these things to him and opened up his eyes to him. Philip gave him the big picture. You see, uh, he was stuck in the granulars, he's stuck in the weeds. He gave him the big picture and told him about Christ who lived and died and rose. And does anyone remember... When the Ethiopian eunuch got done hearing the gospel from Philip, what was his desire? His desire was that he wanted to be what? He wanted to be baptized. He understood the big picture. And so, friends in Christ, in today's message, I'm going to take you back to the epistle reading because St. Paul gives us sketches of reality. He gives us the big picture, and he sort of touches down, and he brings us to the ballpark. He gives us 30,000-foot view of our life. So let's begin. Our self-worth. Now, we Americans, we find our self-worth many times, if we listen to the media in the world, we find ourselves self-worth in what I call the four Ps. Popularity, performance, personality, and power. That's how we find our self-worth. Who has the most influence? Who has the coolest personality? Uh, who performs better? Uh, my, my, my children and my wife got me hung up on Hell's Kitchen. Ever see that with Gordon Ramsay? It's interesting, I sort of binge watch it at times, but it's all about performance and it's about power. Uh, this is what the world says. If you want to be valued in the world, you need to have these things. And there's a picture of the mirror because how we see ourselves <clears throat> is we need to have these four P's. I can add a fifth P. There needs to be possessions. <clears throat> but this is what Paul says when he gives us a big picture. Can you all read it with me? But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends in Christ, what makes our self-worth isn't the four Ps, but that God loves us. What makes us valuable isn't so much what we bring, it's what God brings to us. Do you have an heirloom? Do you have a family um, uh, heirloom or keepsake that's been passed down through generations? I have one in my house. I have a couple in my house. And so they're not worth much. If you take it to the 424 garage sale, probably wouldn't make a whole lot of money. But because of your love and devotion and what that keepsake means to you, it means everything. And most of us, we won't get rid of it. We'll simply pass it, what? Pass along. But it's worth nothing. But to us, it's worth a lot. You see, friends in Christ, what makes us valuable, our self-worth, isn't the four Ps. It's that God loves us. How much he sent his own son. So let's go back up in 30,000 view, and then, then Paul gives us the big picture of our sinful nature. <clears throat> we don't like talking about sin. In America's society, the only sin is calling something a sin. We're not sinners. The only sin is to call out a sin on someone else. Well, then you're being judgmental. But Paul says this. Can you all read it with me?
Well, you know, through Adam and Eve, we inherited their corrupt nature. We are all sinners. We don't like to talk about that. I had a professor in a seminary who said, being a difference between a Christian and non-Christian is which way the fingers point. For a non-Christian, they blame everybody else. It's their fault. They did it. They did it. They, they did it. But a Christian will blame who? Themselves. The finger points back. In the Garden of Eden, when God called Adam and Eve on the carpet, Adam, where are you? Well, Adam said, well, the woman you gave me, the woman said the serpent. They were playing the blame game. I had a professor in a seminary who says, once again, the difference between a Christian and non-Christian, a non-Christian will blame everyone else, but a Christian will say that I'm the sinner. They'll blame themselves. Which way does the finger point? For believers, it points back to us. The Lutheran theologian Werner Ehlert said this, confession is individual, not corporate. Well, we just had confession absolution. What were you thinking of? Were you thinking of your own sins? Confessing them to God? Friends in Christ, I cannot confess your sins and you cannot confess my sins. That's something we do individually. Likewise, the Lord's Supper is not an individual thing that we do. It's corporate. It's something we do together. Hence, it's called what? Communion. Common union. Something we do together. Sin. That's the other reality that St. That Paul brings us. Then he goes up above and he talks about death. Now, I haven't done this, but I'm tempted to do this. I heard of a Missouri Synod pastor that did this. Maybe one Sunday, I'll bring in a casket, and I'll put it over there, or I'll put it over there, and I'll open up the lid. And at the beginning of the service, the end of the service, I'll have you all walk by. But I'm going to put something in that casket. When you look into it, you'll see. Do you know what I'll put there? A mirror. Because one day we're all going to what? Die. Can you read this with me? Yes, we're all going to die. Friends in Christ, as difficult as it sounds, death is really hard. But we ought not be too overly shocked or surprised when someone dies. Because through the death of Adam and Eve and their sin, we're all going to die. I know it doesn't make it easier. I was in a hospital call once, and oftentimes when the doctor or nurse comes in, I'll hang out there because I want to find out more about the member who's in the hospital. But I had a surgeon come in and say this. He says to a lady who was having surgery, none of us gets out of here alive. Now, what he meant by that was, well, you're not going to make it out of surgery. What he meant by that, and he was a Christian surgeon, was that nobody here makes it out of this world what? Alive, unless Christ returns. It's a big picture. So once again, the big picture... We're loved not because of our own worth, but because of God. We are all sinners, and death's going to come to all of us. Don't worry, I have some good news coming. Our salvation, not by works. If any of you still believe that you're saved by works, give it up. I'm a good person. Give it up. Nobody is saved by their good works. Give it up. Paul says this. Can you all read it with me? I just spent a lot of time talking about sin and death, but then you catch the words of St. Paul, how much more? How much more will we be saved through him? Even if I have a casket there that doesn't outweigh all the crosses that are up here. How much more will we be saved? Martin Luther says this about our salvation. Is it not wonderful news to believe that salvation lies outside of ourselves? 
My salvation had nothing to do with me. Christ paid it all. He said, it is finished. We're loved by God. We're sinners. Death's going to come to us, our salvation. And then finally, our overwhelming triumph. Do you see those two little signs at the bottom of the screen? Uh, they're not Pac-Men. I'm going to take you back to your junior or senior high days. Greater than, less than. I'll explain it to you. Please read this with me. So, you and I, we live lives in the poles of our life of sinning, and we come to God's house, we receive his gifts, we repent, we're forgiven. We live our lives between the pole of our life and the cross of Christ. But notice, the more we grow in faith, the more we realize we sin. I know it sounds odd. The more a person says, I need to stop doing that, the more mature they're in their faith. When we see that sin increased, notice Paul says, grace increased all the more. All the more. Once again, the big picture. God loves us. Our worth is in God. We're sinners. That's going to come to us. Our salvation is from Christ. And in our sinful lives, grace is all there, all the more as we realize it. That's a picture of the Battle of New Orleans. I don't know if you've ever been there. I think it's called Chaminade. It's outside of New Orleans. My wife and I went there many years ago. Now, history trivia. The Battle of New Orleans was fought, A, before the War of 1812, B, during the War of 1812, or C, after the War of 1812. Which one? A, B, or C? Say it. After. England sued for peace. The peace treaty was signed in London, and the war was over. But these guys didn't know it. And there's Andrew Jackson in the blue pointing out. You see the American flag. You see the British flag. There he fought with Creole Indians, black African Americans, Native Americans, and Kentuckians and Tennesseans and others he picked up on his way. The battle, war was won before the battles fought. What I'm trying to get at is when you and I fret over sin, we realize our sin, the battle's been won on the cross 2,000 years ago, and Jesus says it's finished. The big picture, once again, our worth is because God loves us. We're sinners. Death's going to come our way. Salvation comes from Christ, and grace increases all the more in our sinful life. And finally, let's talk about this, our message. If it's true for me, then it's true for you. When I was a vicar in Napoleon, we lived, my wife and I, we lived on a county road, 11D, and right across, I'm sorry, 11C, right across the road from us, there's a new housing development, and there was a young couple that moved in about our age, and they found out I was a vicar and becoming a pastor. We invited him over for a bonfire, and he said, I know you're studying to become a pastor. What's this whole pastor and Christian thing about anyways? really expect me to believe there's an ark with giraffe heads and elephant heads sticking out? And what's this whole thing about heaven? And I finally told him, I said, it's rather simple. I'm a sinner. Jesus died for me. Heaven's real. You're a sinner. Jesus died for you. Heaven's real. And he looked at me and he says, is that it? And guess what I said? Pretty much. If it's true for me, then what? It's true for you. Once again, the big picture we're valued because God loves us. We're sinners. Death's going to come our way. Salvation comes from Christ. And we have victory when we sin and victory in Christ, the big, big picture. That's it. Consequently, just as a result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also 
The result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. So I'd like you to take out your hymnals. I'm going to make you work the big picture. Open up your hymnals to hymn 576. Do that. Look to stanza one. Hymn 576, stanza one. It's a big picture said for you in different ways. A 30,000 foot view. Two plus two equals four. The ballpark figure. You get to see the woods. Hymn 576, stanza one. Matter of fact, it's one of my favorite hymns. Maybe your favorite hymn as well. Can you all read it with me? My. That's a big picture. Life at 30,000 feet. True for you, true for me. How about this for a closing thought? One of my favorite verses. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And all God's people say...